We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The podcast today is brought to you by MyBookie. Uh, go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and you will get your deposit matched halfway all the way up to $1,000. Simply put, if you deposit 100 bucks, they'll give you an extra 50 You deposit 500 they'll give you an extra 250 You deposit $1,000, they'll give you an extra $500 to play with. MyBookie is reliable, totally trustworthy. If you go to MyBookie and you want to bet sports, you're going to get fair point spreads, fair money lines, fair pricing, and plenty of ways to bet. And if you win, you're going to get paid. You can't say that about a lot of shops. Uh, MyBookie.ag for any prop bet you want. I think I mentioned this yesterday. Right now, I'm looking at it right now. The NFC East Division odds. The Giants are plus 200, a slight favorite over Washington at plus 210. Then it's the Eagles at plus 260, and the Cowboys are the long shot at plus 475. My bookie's got a live casino. They've got a race book. If you're a new better looking for a place to wager, you can trust my bookie. If you're already betting and you've got other shops, sign up at my bookie, get the advance, get the match on the deposit, and you'll have a place to comparison shop point spreads, etc. Mybookie.ag, use my promo code Kevin DC. You don't want it, you don't need it, but you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. It's Friday. Cooley's joining me as he's wending his way through the middle portion of America. And we just got into a big argument, which is why we had to start the podcast over. Because I reprimanded him and then he reprimanded me. Uh, we can't figure out why he sounds so bad, but he was on Bluetooth. He was on speaker. It sounded terrible. He was upset that I told him he had to take me off speaker and grab his phone and talk into the phone. Is there anything you'd like to add to it? Yeah. 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 Uh, if I were to call you right now on your cell phone on my Bluetooth hands-free, you would not know that I was not talking into my cell phone. Yes, I would. phone. That's that's no. not true at all. No, it's very true. Not even close Mass. to true. I'm going to call seven people. As soon as we get off this podcast, <laughs> I'm going to call everyone I know. Of course I would know you were on speaker on Bluetooth if you called me versus talking into the handset. I would absolutely know the difference. No, no way. But, but here's the point. The point is, is that... I am sitting here recording this in my studio. I am looking at Adobe Audition, our recording format. And you on 
Bluetooth mm-hmm. were barely registering at the highest level of recording for your phone line, your incoming phone line. And I told mm-hmm. you it's just not going to work because I want this to be an easy to listen to podcast you'd like to make people really work hard and have to turn up their volume when you're talking and then turn it down when i'm talking i'd rather them be able to set their volume level at one level and hear it by the way i was looking at, at you're, the ma- you're missing oh, what you're am I missing, missing what am i Are missing yeah i guess so there's things that i think that you're really good at and a lot of things i think you're a great friend I appreciate you as a listener. I you do an amazing job with a, any form of media. Okay, get to the bad. You part. are terrible at running a soundboard. You have no idea what's going on in your studio right now. You have no idea how to boost me or why to boost me or why not to boost me. And ultimately, it's completely your fault. Guilty. So when you say I don't care when I I listen to you. I Guilty. You're a good listener. I but I you okay. don't need to go any further. I. So now you're making me I'm, jump I'm bad at running a soundboard. Of course I am. I'm well, bad. Yeah, but you, now you just don't want to push buttons. No, I did. Push I turned around I, and find out what happened. I turned you all the way up. If we had an engineer here, uh, which yeah, then, like which then would make the prof uh, the, the podcast <laughs> not even close to profitable. It's barely break even as it is. Then we wouldn't <laughs> be able to do this. So. We're going to have to just, you know, you know, here's the thing. You're going to have to be more accommodating than you typically like to be. And we'll be you know, good. I've, I've tried, and the thing is, is I've tried to be so accommodating. I've bought headsets and technology, <laughs> but at this current time, <laughs> I'm driving across the country. Yeah. And so I thought just this once, maybe you could be more accommodating. I know. Uh, I did my best. Um, you are but in, you are not accommodating. That is not one of your qualities. You, um, before <laughs> be, before we restarted the podcast, and I guess we could have left the entire argument, but I just think it got tedious, and, and your audio was terrible. Um, you are in Indiana on Interstate 80, headed towards Chicago, where you will jump then on Interstate 90, and... As we've talked about before, my cross-country trip with my friend when we were 21 years old, on our way out to California, we ended up taking this exact route. We didn't go 70 all the way across. We got on 80. We then got on 90. And 90 took us through places like Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and then eventually Mm -hmm. Rapid City, South Dakota, and the Badlands, and the Black Hills, and all the beautiful areas of North Dakota before we came into Wyoming and we settled into Yellowstone for a few nights. And Yellowstone is... um, from where you are, well, it would be it would be west of you, correct? It would be west of you. It's yeah, it's seventy five miles west of where I live, right to the to the east entrance. That makes sense. How boring of a drive until you get to some of those beautiful areas of South Dakota, right? In I mean, it, South Dakota is really not beautiful. That's I'll be okay. With okay, you. fine. It's, it's really it's really not. It's like South Dakota is. 420 miles. I, it, I like it's the saddest thing is I've done this drive now. I counted, I think, 15 or 16 times. Right. And so I know all the miles exactly the, across all the states. <laughs> it's that's it's From when you, that's that's bad. But South Dakota is 420 miles, and about um, 
Is Sioux, is, Sioux Falls, is Sioux Falls the first big city, like the total east coast of South Dakota? And then Rapid City, I know, is way west. Yeah, so that's exactly what it is. Sioux Falls, you're about 15 miles into South Dakota, and it is a, a pretty big grown a lot, too, in the last few years. And then Rapid City, the same as on the opposite end, is, is the other big city. And, oh. Or bigger city, you know, that, that I will hit on my drive. But once I get through, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, there's really nothing as far as a big city until you get to Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls isn't a big city, though. I mean, it, you get the point. You drive through Madison? It's a long drive. And, oh, yeah, I drive right through Madison. Mm. Madison's a great town don't you think have you ever just i do i've stopped in madison and stayed a couple times it, it is a fun town yeah madison's one of the great college towns too i mean it's more than just a college town but the university of wisconsin's actually really really nice um mount rushmore in south dakota is mount rush i mean i'm trying to think because i i went to mount rushmore is it in the black hills yeah okay yeah, it is. It's not directly on the way. You have to go out of your way just a little bit. But it's it's. Uh, I've stopped a couple times. It's a mountain with some faces on it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'd um, rather go to Deadwood where there's blackjack. <laughs> right. Right. That's actually where I think I'm going to stop tonight. What's the I weather? Usually, well, what? A lot of times I don't stop. What's the weather? Oh, I know you've done the, you've done the drive nonstop with you know some assistance um, across the country. I did before. last year without assistance. That was impressive. Uh, that is impressive. What is it door to door hours? Thirty five, thirty. Yeah, I mean it, it's two thousand miles. It always depends on how fast you're going to go. Or yeah, you, you, I would just count on. If you were to not stop to spend the night or anything, it's right about 30 with gas stops and maybe a food stop or two. What's the weather like? 30. Uh, is the weather supposed to be a good make make it a good drive? I haven't really looked that close. I looked a couple of days ago. I think it's good all the way to Wyoming, and then I think there's just snow on the roads. But that's not a big deal. Right. I, I'm so over every part of my life right now. Normally, I'm so just task oriented, easy going. Next next thing. This moving, it's it sucks. It it is the worst. Mm-hmm. I just kept going through my house and I kept finding another thing. <laughs> I kept finding more things. Oh my gosh, man. I was supposed to leave Tuesday. Man, I thought I'll get out Wednesday for sure. And I did not make it out of my house until five o'clock yesterday oh my god oh you didn't leave till five o'clock yesterday and yet right. you're only so i in... drove till about one oh, and okay. then i stayed the night i was done i was really tired where did you stay uh hampton inn in uh, i think it was in michigan but you don't go really go through like once you get off the exit you're in michigan it's uh sturgis indiana or michigan you can look that up i saw a sign that was michigan when i turned out exit Okay. I don't know. Okay. You looked that up. But, uh, yeah, stayed there, and, and I'm back on the road. So I had a, a what do you got. Okay. Would you like to hear it? Yes. My week, it's been, my last 10 days have been very busy with a lot of things, and you'll like this. We were doing the podcast after the game on Monday. Right. 
no, it was Black Friday, Friday, a week ago. Right. And I headed over to my in-laws' house, and they live in a subdivision in Leesburg, which is a nice subdivision, and it has a lot of houses that look alike, and they are fairly close to each other. They're bigger. There's a lot of bigger homes, but they're, they're fairly close to each other. And I wanted to park on their side of the street, and so I drove to the end of their road and U-turned, and then drove back just past their house. I was talking to you, not paying very much attention, and I just walked around their house, and I'm wandering around the outside. And then I sat down on their deck and talked for about 10 minutes while we did this podcast on the, on the steps of the deck. And then I will, got uncomfortable, so I wandered up to the top level of the deck, and I sat down in one of their patio chairs where I did the show for about another seven to eight minutes. At that point, some random guy comes out and <laughs> yeah. says, you were the can I help guy. you with anything? You were, the, said, uh, you were the random. I looked at him and I went, well, I wonder why he's at Greg's house. Yeah, I went to the wrong house. And I walked around and I sat on his deck for 10 minutes. And <laughs> did the show. I'm an idiot. You know, I- I'm wondering. If he we- knew. I said, it's my, fa- my, fa- it's my father-in-law, Greg Bill. And they did actually ask. They did ask if that, in fact, was the case. My you know, at some point. It may be in your best interest to keep these stories to yourself. <laughs> Maybe. That's just, the best part of life. Just a recommendation. Well, to be honest with you, I was I was focused on what you and I were doing, yeah. and it, it, it turned out fine. It wasn't like I was walking down a, the wrong trail that was going to lead me off a cliff. Right. I guess you could have shot me. I don't know. But I, I thought I laughed because I thought, I wonder if I was just sitting on my in my kitchen and some guy was hanging out on the deck. Right. <laughs> but I would have done the same thing. I would have went out and said hello. Yeah. How you doing? How you doing, buddy? What's uh, what's what's going on out here? You've had a lot of those stories over the years. You know, not necessarily wandering into someone else's. You know. Um, onto someone else's property. Um, but just a lot of those, God, w- w- what was I thinking? I, I think, you know, I think everybody has those stories. And I think the pe- reason mm, people think I'm know. as silly as I am is because I can, because they relate, I can self deprecate and tell the story. Yeah. Most people don't tell those stories. Oh, I think those stories are actually stories that if people did it as much or even once, um, that they w- would find very funny and 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 to to repeat even you know on a broadcast. Um, it, there's nothing embarrassing about it at all. I think when it becomes an issue is when you know five times a year you say I got to tell you this story you're not going to believe it, and it's another similar you know coolie wandering story or coolie lost something story. That's all. That's all I'm saying. There's nothing harmful. Yeah, There's nothing harmful about it. Um. So I, uh, one thing that you didn't did you watch the Baltimore uh, Pittsburgh game on Wednesday? I watched some of it, but I I watched towards the end because I didn't realize that it was not an eight thirty game. 
okay. I had a lot of things going on that day. Right. Sat down, was very enthusiastic about watching Robert Griffin, turned it on, and it was almost over. So I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Tommy and I talked about this yesterday. Um, it was honestly, from my perspective, Tommy agreed with me, it was one of the worst performances by a starting quarterback this year. It was mm-hmm. awful. Um Griffin's post game was about, you know, the injury. He ended up having an injured hamstring, and he really felt like if he hadn't gotten injured, they were on the verge of winning the game. Um, and then, you know, how he always talks about his guys, and his guys came up to him and said, Don't worry about it. We got your back. We know if you had stayed healthy, you would have won the game. It was just, it, it, it was like, it, it was a repeat of what we've heard in the past. But anyway, I got this um, tweet from Nick. Nick said, Man, Shan, you really have it out for Griffin. I thought he played pretty well. Did you see that 40-yard run? He looked like the old RG3. Um, there were a couple of others, too. I guess people were uh, upset. It's it, it's interesting to me just still how in this – we're eight years after the fact, and there are still people who – think that he got a terrible deal here, that somehow he got screwed, that somehow the rest of the NFL has conspired to keep him, you know, from being the star that he should be on the field. Look, to be honest with you, in watching the game the other day, one of my boys was so excited about it. You know, he's always been sort of, I think RG3 needs another chance. And, you know, especially now with the way Lamar Jackson plays, he's on the perfect team. And one of my sons was absolutely convinced that Griffin was going to look like Jackson in this game. And, you know, he he can still run. I mean, he did have a 39-yard run, and he was seven carries for 68 yards. And the one drive that they nearly scored on was really set up by that 39-yard run. The dude was 7 of 12 for 33 yards. He got he got sacked three times on 15 dropbacks. We need to understand something as no matter what how what we feel about him, whether we don't like him or we like him, he can't do it. Like he's done. This was the chance for him to show something after two or three years that he could even be a backup in this league, and he's not even a backup on on a team who has a system that is suitable for him, perfectly designed for him. Again, I preface all of that after the fact prefacing it with they were without a lot of players. They were without a lot of preparation time. You know, it was a weird setup for this game. I understand all that. He is blind. He can't see the field. Nothing has improved from that standpoint. So I actually believe that, um, first of all, he's hurt. There's a chance Jackson won't play in the next Ravens game, which is against the Cowboys on Tuesday, Cooley. That is an 8.05 start on Tuesday. Uh, I have a feeling that even if he is healthy, Trace McSorley is going to be the backup. I, I think Baltimore saw what they needed to see, um, which is uh, this was, you know, whatever. This 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 can't happen again um, if, we're in, if we're in a position where we've got to play our backup quarterback. Anyway, you didn't really see it, so it really doesn't matter, but I wanted to respond. I watched a bunch of the highlights and a bunch of the stuff from it, and remember what I told we talked – once this week, and I, you asked me how I thought he would play, and I think I remember telling you something like 12 of 28 for 135 yards. Right. Sacked a bunch of times I and said, a couple turnovers. I said he won't play well. Yeah. 
throw, yeah, no, I have two picks. He's not the guy. He's never going to be the guy again. He had one very special season in a year of offensive innovation to an offense that he had really understood well from being a Baylor. But he doesn't – I've known people that know him at a, from other organizations. I don't want to criticize the fact that he is an incredibly hard worker physically. I don't know if he truly knows how to prepare, even at this point, as a quarterback. I don't know if he knows. I'm not saying that I know he does not know. But I know people that have worked around him in different organizations and back to Cleveland, and obviously back to Washington. He, and then I watch him. And I watched, trust me, if anybody watched film of Robert Griffin more than me that wasn't a coach on a staff, I'll be amazed. But it's just not there. And I don't know if it's something happened where he felt that he needed to really hold the ball longer than he should hold the ball if he felt that he needed to truly show people that he was a pocket quarterback, but he doesn't have pocket rhythm and he doesn't have fast enough eyes getting from one to two to three to four, and that hasn't improved. So to your point, Baltimore has seen enough. I will bet you anything on that. The question is, what do you do with it? You know, to me, Baltimore seems like they're a, a need three quarterback type of team. But nobody else is going to pick him up. You could, you could, like he's not going to. He'll, he'll. Excuse me. He'll clear waivers. So, I think at this point, with all the COVID stuff, they'll, they'll probably just IR him. But then move on. Yeah. I. Um... I, I just. I li- and I like Trace. I, I'm. I think everyone from the Northern Virginia area is is, is, is interested in Trace McSorley as anybody in the league. Yeah. He went to Briarwoods High School in Ashburn and had such a tremendous career as a competitor at Penn State. And I, I think Baltimore's got to start thinking, what is Trace McSorley as our backup? Yeah, I do too. Um, anyway, uh, I just I find it amazing that anybody watched that game and actually thought he played well. Um, yeah, well, people he, don't want to be wrong, dude. They, I, like, no I, one I, wants well, to be wrong. You know what? But you, you can't you can't stake your claim to not being wrong based on that tape. Um, he he had a nice run. He had a couple of nice runs, and then he came he got came up. By the way, the bottom line is even if let's just say he went what I mean, if he had done what you said, it would have been a banner day compared to the day that he had. If he'd gone twelve for twenty eight for one hundred and thirty five yards with a couple of picks, he had a pick six. He had a fumble on two of his first three drives, and again was seven of twelve for. 33 yards. Um, but even if he had had that kind of a day, um, I just don't know. It's just it, he, he can't. Oh, what, uh, where I was going with this is he can't stay healthy. He's breakable. He's always been breakable as a football player. He's just will. He'll never, ever, ever. If he had played great the other night um, and then got injured at the end, no one's going to give him that opportunity because they know he'll never last 16 games. Never last 16 games. Anyway. Uh, so, Completely. I was, uh, yeah, but in all, in, all, in all fairness, 
if you wanted to end it right there, he did play the best defense in the NFL with nobody on offense. Right. No, and, and no little. So and very little time to prepare. Better et than that. Yeah. Probably. You know, the next game would probably be. You give him some of his guys, which everyone needs, and you give him a defense that's not really what I think is the best defense in the league, then he's going to have a better performance. But you see what it looks like when things aren't well, and it's not going to go that far uphill. I don't know. Yeah. I think that there's just, for Robert, there's too long of a runway to ever really take off. It's too far of a climb right now. I agree. Can't get up to speed. Agreed. Uh, All right. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got a question Washington football team related that I will ask Cooley. Uh, Let him answer it. I'll answer it as well. Um, And it deals with uh, what we're expecting uh, Monday when they face Pittsburgh. Right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Angelo, happy birthday, brother. Eris, 
Make sure you treat your father right on his birthday. Um, anyway, uh, here's the question that I ask callers this morning. Are you ready for this one? I want you to... I di- love that I get the call segment question. <laughs> well, because... Yeah, I'm ready. Of course I'm ready. Because I actually think that this is an interesting time to consider this. And, and let, me, let me give you the setup. No, I'm going to ask you the question first. I'll, I'll ask you the question first, and okay. then I'll tell you why I'm asking you the question. So the question is this. Is Monday going to reveal a team where we say at the end of the game against Pittsburgh, well, that's a back-to-reality moment for us. You know, that's uh, a game in which they got totally exposed for what they really are. Or is it going to be a moment where we say, wow, that was their announcement to the rest of the league that they are not only a team playing well, um, but they're actually right now, despite their record, you know, a decent team. And I bring that up because, look, I think we would all agree based on the last six games that they are playing much better than they played in their first four or five games. Their last six games, they're three and three. The three losses are by a grand total of seven points. And in their last outing, they absolutely destroyed their arch rival on Thanksgiving Day, scoring 41 points. By the way, J.P. Finley put out this tweet uh, last night, as I digress here for a moment, that that they scored 41 points for just the sixth time in 50, it, 40 or more points for just the sixth, sixth time since 2005. And he said each time the, the, uh, they scored 40-plus, they lost the following game. The, the headline there, the lead really is that in an age of lots of points and lots of offense, this team in 15 years has only scored 40-plus six times. But I'll leave it at that. The last one was the Green Bay game, the 42-24 to Sunday night uh, game in which uh, they lit up the Packers, and then they lost on Thanksgiving four days later to the Cowboys in that shootout in Dallas, 31-26. to Anyway, um, so here they are, you know, a team that has played better, I think they're, you know, and I made this case to Tommy yesterday that, you know, the old Bill Parcells line, you are what your record says you are, to me is bullshit in the middle of a season. At the end of the year, if you want to look at the season as an entirety, you know, in aggregate, uh, and you finish 5-11, and 11, you say, well, that's what you were. You know, from September until, you know, January 2nd or whatever, that's what you were. You were a 5-11 and 11 team. But in the midst of a season, you know, like right now to me, Pittsburgh, th- their record says they're the best team in the league. I don't think they're the best team in the league at 11-0. and 0. I think Kansas City's better than they are. I think Tennessee might be better than they are. Washington's a 4-7 and seven team. I don't think the way they're playing right now reflects a team that's 4-7. and seven. Their record doesn't say who they are right now, in my opinion. I think that they, you know, they're playing more like a 500 team right now. But to get to my question, the setup for it is that this is the first legitimate good opponent, like legitimately very difficult opponent they've had in two months. The Rams were the last really good team they faced. It, 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 it's almost two months ago. They've played the Giants twice, the Cowboys twice, the Lions and the Bengals since. And so this is very much a measuring stick game, and I'm curious to find out from you, are they going to be exposed for what they really are, which is a bad team on Monday? Or is this going to be like a coming out party where the rest of the league watching this game uh, realizes, man, you know what? That Washington football team, 
they're actually pretty decent. Which is it going to be? I think you need the next three games as that barometer, or at least the next two games. I, I just, I don't know if you could truly hang your hat on this game in general in a positive way, right? Pittsburgh played two nights ago. They, they are way short rest coming into this game, way short preparation. Washington got an extra day, and Washington's healthy. So I, I, when I look at this game, I think that you could have a couple different things exposed. One, I'm, we could say they're, they're really becoming a good team. Two, it could be disaster. Or three, I think you say their offense just isn't good enough, but they're getting there which I think is probably the, the likelihood that the defense plays well, keeps them in this game, and that the offense struggles throughout, that they don't run it as effectively, and that Alex really probably isn't a guy that gets the ball down the field consistently in a game. And they throw underneath a lot, and they, don't, they end this game with 280 total yards, 275 total yards, with no real dynamic, scare you, big play weapon besides Terry. I think it ends up kind of just being a, yeah, they're, they're a pretty good middling team. What I think is more interesting, too, <laughs> any of it is, is your, your first evaluation of what a team is. If you, how many times have we ever looked back on a season and said, they're a great 5-11 and team? Really, not, the record was not indicative of how good they were. Never. I think that Washington could be a good seven and nine teams that you say, well, if they had won another game or they like, I don't, they're better than we thought they were, but Dwayne was a problem for them. Dwayne was the biggest, but having no quarterback is a massive problem. It really set them back in the first few weeks, although they won the Eagles game. I don't, I just, I, I just don't know if this game tells us exactly who they are. I think you learn through the next couple weeks though. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Um, I do. But given the setup where Pittsburgh has, you know, this short, you know, turnaround and Washington's had this long lead up, if the result's really ugly, it may be more exposing because they couldn't take advantage of maybe a decent setup. Pittsburgh short prep, Washington, plenty of time, Pittsburgh losing Bud Dupree to a torn ACL, you know, arguably one of their best, you know, four or five players on, on a really, really good defense. Um, and so it, it could, you know, it could end up if they play really poorly and they get run out of the building, even more exposing of them, more, much more of a reality check on the negative side. If they were to play really well and win the game, and I actually think they have a chance to win the game. I'm not going to bet them on the money line or anything like that. I think they have a, a really good chance to cover. Vegas is telling you that they actually think Washington has a chance. That number is now down to eight, seven and a half in some spots. Um, they were a 14-point favorite over the the Cowboys. They were 
a double-digit favorite over a depleted Ravens team as well. Um, Remember, the Cowboys, with Garrett Gilbert, almost beat this team. I just don't think Pittsburgh is that – I think they're a really good team. I don't think they're an elite team. You know, obviously, if they were playing Kansas City this week and they lost 35 – or 28-24, you would be like, whoa – but if they lose 28 to 24 to Pittsburgh and they're 4 and 8 but the Giants lose and the Cowboys lose and the Eagles lose I think you know if they have a legitimate chance to win this game too it'll just feel different but you're right it's very possible we could come you know come Monday night at 8 o'clock say I don't know if we learned either one I, I think that's possible but this is the first chance to measure this new and improved if you believe it to be new and improved against a really upper, legit upper-tier team. And by the way, you might get that the following week and the following week after that, to your point. The 49ers are getting healthier. They're already good on defense. And the Seahawks are obviously legit good. Um, and they are actually improving on defense as well. So maybe you take the three games and you you know, you know you sort of come out of that and say, well, what do we have here? Um, but I think, you know, I think we'll learn something Monday. I one of the things, Cooley, that I loved about the Dallas game, and we didn't have a lot of time to break it down on, on Friday last week, I love the way they've been tackling and playing defense. I think it's the sign that I usually look for in a team that that has a certain level of toughness and is going to be a difficult team to just bury week in and week out, even if they're you know not – like I compared this this morning, one of my – Bobby in North Carolina. Bobby said, Kevin, do you think this is more like the Joe Gibbs 1981 team, his first team? Um, and I said, that's not the comp. It's the Marty Schottenheimer team that I loved um, because Marty's team turned it around with – hard-nosed, physical, good-tackling defense. They had Tony Banks and Kent Graham at quarterback. They didn't do much offensively. They started to do just enough, but defensively they really got better and improved, and that's why they became a really competitive team, even though they lost some games to teams that they probably should have beaten down the stretch to finish 8-8. Eight and eight. But um, I don't know. We'll see. I- I'm expecting them I- to play I- well. Yeah, like here's what, Here's what I think you're really – I think the defense is good, and this could be a game where they give up 31 points, and I'm still going to think the defense is good. I, there might be it might be a situation where they didn't make the plays, but I do believe this defense is going in the right direction. Right. It just needs a, a, a couple key pieces to be an excellent defense, but they have enough. They have enough guys that can kind of take over a game or make enough plays to really make it hard on an offense. Once they get a couple key components, I think this defense is really, really talented. So even if they give up 31, let's say they lose this game 31-7, to I'm not going to say they're a bad football team. I'm going to say they haven't quite figured it out and they need a couple pieces on defense. The guy that you're going to learn a lot about is Scott Turner, in my opinion. Yes. Scott Turner's got to have balls in this game. He's got to be a, a he's got to be great with understanding what Pittsburgh's trying to do to him. He's got to be great situationally with how he wants to find ways to take shots. He's got to be great at designing a run scheme that takes advantage of some of Pittsburgh's front. You learn a lot about Scott Turner and his growth as an offensive coordinator. To me, he's been as intriguing as anybody, and I know that sounds silly. I hear that's available to see, but he's 
he's had some games this season where you've seen some things and went, I, I, I think Scott's got something to him. And then he's had some games where I think he's lacked confidence in his players. And I, I don't like that as an OC. I don't like the, the games where you're going to throw 22 screens. And I get it's Baltimore, and that might be the only thing we can do. And we, look, we did get yards, guys. But right. I don't, that, that's not growth as an offense. I've seen growth as an offense over the last few years. Scott Turner and Alex Smith are going to be the two guys that you really find out about in this game. Although we, we, I think we do know about Alex Smith. What the last, what you find out about Alex or this team is, is Alex Smith managing the game enough for them to have a chance to win a game against a good team? Are we, are they good enough for Alex to manage a game and have a chance to win against a good team? Because I don't see Alex as really being ever much more than that, aside from maybe. Three or four games a year, two or three games a year, we go, whoa. I think the rest of them, you could say competent play. And so the question would be, is competent play by the quarterback and good play calling by the coordinator enough for them to win ball games right now? You'll learn a lot about that. I, I would mention to people who haven't listened to the Wednesday podcast where Cooley evaluated the offensive players and graded the offensive players from the Dallas game to go back and listen to Cooley's discussion about Alex Smith because I actually brought it up this morning um, because I thought it was very interesting. It was your first evaluation of him since he's taken over as a starter where you said he was very much just a guy. You know, it was a C performance from him. And one of the reasons was, and we talked about this last Wednesday before the game, even though Dallas Dallas was not a good defense and had given up a lot of yards on the ground. Dallas had some speed in their front seven, and they've been able to pressure the quarterback. And so this is where on Monday, when you said Scott Turner, I'm like, yes, yeah, Scott Turner's got to figure out a way to move the ball and protect the quarterback at the same time. You know, and I think that they figured out that way against Dallas to a certain degree, but you could run the ball against Dallas. You can't run the ball against Pittsburgh. It's not going to be as easy. So this is going to be a real challenge against a team that has speed, athleticism, can really get after the quarterback, but also can stop the run. This will be the biggest challenge yet for Turner with a quarterback of his choice. You know, against Baltimore, he didn't really have a quarterback of his choice. Against the Rams, you know, I think that Rams game, you know, look, the first half they did have a drive, and then the starting quarterback who had prepared for the Rams got hurt, and that was Alex coming in for his first game. This is going to be – It was also their worst defensive game. Oh, by the far. They got gutted in the first four drives of that game, or the first three. First sure. three. They didn't have a yeah. stop until late in the second quarter. Right. So that was a bad game all around. Yeah. You know, it's funny – because I, 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 I want to clarify this on Alex, though. Because when you say just a guy, I actually, as a quarterback, said C minus, and then said C. Yeah, you moved it to and C. And I thought about it even more because you you say manage a game, and that's gotten such a bad rap over the last ten years because coaches have said it as analysts, and then I think a lot of people understand that is not going to turn the ball over for you. That, that's not managing a game. Managing a game is getting your team in the right look, in the right formation, having a sharp cadence, getting the right checks. Managing a game is what a lot of young quarterbacks cannot do right? because they can't mentally facilitate their offense. Alex is really good at the line of scrimmage, and he is really good at keeping them on 
pace and on tempo with what they're trying to do on offense. He right now is just a guy in terms of seeing the field, making throws down the field, some of that post-snap stuff. The pre-snap stuff is excellent. And so just think about this, though, when you hear managing a game, not you per se, but it's not he throws checkdowns instead of interceptions. There's a lot more that goes into managing a game, and that's what you get from Alex Smith. It's a professional quarterback who can run your offense. He just might not make all the big throws that you want him to make. That's, to me, managing a game. I totally understand that. The the big difference in your evaluation on Wednesday versus the Bengals or the Detroit game or the Giant game um, is that you said he missed a lot. You know, that you pointed out several throws that he missed, and that was, you know, for whatever reason. And again, I think I think they faced a faster and more threatening front than they had in their previous games, too. But you're not going to get a bigger test than the one you get on Monday against a defense, even though, you know, they're hurt, um, even though Bud Dupree is gone for the year, and that's a big loss for them. Um, you're, you know, you're, you're still going to face a defense with TJ Watt and with Cameron Hayward and then with Minka Fitzpatrick and Joe Hayden. I mean, and it, this is a really, really good defensive team. Um, it, it's, it's a really good team. And the other thing I kind of laid out when we talked about the film from the game, and I think this has gone back to two or three weeks is. It, the run game was really effective, but if I'm watching Scott, he laid out some real tendencies over the last couple of weeks. And as far as running the football, you know, under center and pistol, you're going to see a lot of gap scheme runs. You're going to see some more zone scheme runs from the, the gun look. You're going to see – there's just some things he laid out as tendencies. And in a very short week, a good coordinator will find a way to break those tendencies because that's all Pittsburgh has time to prepare for. So if he does a really good job of breaking tendencies, of changing some of his motions and looks to get to plays that they haven't gotten to, to formationally get into things they haven't gotten to, that will be impressive. And then you'll see if they can operate in that. Because there's the, there's tendencies because you know that's the best way to put your guys in position to win. That's why he's doing some of the things he's doing because he knows – we're better a gap scheme team if we go pistol because the back can come straight downhill, that type of stuff. So that, you, this is a big challenge for him. It, and if you're watching it the way I'll be watching it, I, I think he could have a, he could have one of two things, you know, wow, this guy's, this guy gets it or yeah, he's just calling he plays that suit his offense. You said something there that I wanted to, to, to clarify. You said that he's showing some tendencies, and then you said about Pittsburgh in a short week they'll be able to focus in on that. Why in a short week would they have more of an opportunity to catch on to the tendencies versus a longer week to prepare? They'll catch on to the tendencies in a longer week the same as they'll catch on to them in a shorter week. You'll catch on to the tendencies by going through every game once or twice. In a shorter week, you will not have time to prepare for the contingencies. Okay. In a short week, it sounded to me. I I just misunderstood. It sounded to me like you were saying that there was some sort of benefit for the Steelers in a short week. Um, No, there's not a benefit there, but they won't have as much time to script and prepare some of the contingencies to go back to week three, four, and five to some of the looks that they potentially might see. 
I, I think in a shorter week, you don't have as much time to prepare your players for the entire gamut of possibilities. You prepare for the tendencies. Got it. So he should break them is all I'm suggesting. Um, it's funny. I, I, as you're talking, I'm sitting here. I mean, I'm seeing – I see a couple of places that have now Pittsburgh just at minus seven and seven and a half. So I think – big line. Well, not comparatively, no. I mean, th- this line would have been 10. Right. This would have been 10 before last week. The look-ahead line was 10, 10, you know, nine and a half, 10, somewhere around there. Steelers, obviously, the short week has something to do with that. And then Washington, looking the way they looked on Thanksgiving Day, has something to do with that as well. Um, anyway, all right. Uh, let's uh, Let's get to the smell test and to the lock of the week right after I tell you about Window Nation's current sale. They basically combine the two best opportunities they have during the course of the year into one, and that is their buy two, get two free. All right, so you buy t- uh, for every two windows you purchase, you get two for free with no limit. So you could buy 10 windows, and five of them would be free, five of them you would be paying for. Uh, and then also this incredible 60-month no interest uh, if you decide to finance your purchase. That essentially means that if you buy 10 windows, you pay for five of them, and then you don't pay any interest for five years. Do the math. You basically save 5000 bucks over a five-year period. Window Nation is where you should turn if you're looking for windows, uh, whether it's because they're old or you want to upgrade the look of your home. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Schedule that in-home or online virtual estimate today. Uh, you can do it online with them. They'll come into your home if you don't mind that either, following all CDC guidelines. Don't miss this offer. Tell them that I sent you 866-90-NATION or Nation. Dot com. All right, let's get to the smell test and the lock of the week. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for, for the, the smell, smell test. test. All right, last week's uh, smell test was seven and seven and Cooley. God, I missed out on what should have been a massive week. Uh, this this has happened many times in the past. A lot of you, you know, that wager, you'll be like, God, if I had just bet all the games that I liked, I would have gone, you know, I would have gone eight and four instead of four and four. Um, but what last week was was a, a huge week for the house. You know, the sports books had one of their biggest weeks, especially um, especially in the NFL. Uh, Washington was an anti-public favorite. Uh, on Thanksgiving Day. Um, Cincinnati, which I gave out, was. uh, Atlanta was, and I didn't give that out. I should have. New England was. I did give that one out, that hit. The one I'm really upset about is I didn't give out the 49ers. I liked them. I played them personally. Um, They won the game outright. I don't know why I just didn't put them into the smell test last week. I don't know why I didn't, because I liked them. I think I just forgot. And then I got unlucky, Cooley, because on Friday... I gave out Philadelphia plus five on the smell test. The game went off at six, six and a half, seven. Um, And so most of you won on that selection. But I take the, the games when I give them out, what the point spread is. And sometimes I benefit from that and sometimes I don't. And in this particular case, I didn't. And therefore, I had a seven and seven uh, weekend. Anyway, um, 
I, I got I don't even know how many games I have. I, I'm just gonna go through them real quickly because there are just there's several college games. There's six college games in particular, and f- uh, six Sunday games. So I've got 12 games. I'm gonna hold off on the Monday night game, even though I, I'm pretty sure I will have San Francisco in the smell test when we get to Monday. Uh, but I'm gonna wait because I don't want to end up with a bad number there. Um, it wouldn't surprise me. That game is a pick 'em right now. Um, I don't know which direction it's going to go. It'll probably stay at pick them minus one, plus one, somewhere around there. But I think I'll like the 49ers, but I'll wait until Monday to give that out. I might I might like Washington, too, um, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, college football's a mess right now, but there are some games that are going to be played, and there are some big public plays uh, on Saturday, um, tomorrow. Texas A&M is laying six and a half to seven. I'm going to take the seven here. Okay, I'm going to start giving myself the the half point that I'm recommending that you buy <laughs> because I'm not getting it's only, stuck. It, it, actually, actually, it's fair in college football right now that you do that because there are games where you, you're watching. Well, like Louisiana played yesterday. They said, "Well, Louisiana hasn't played since Halloween." Yeah, like, how the hell are they predicting this game? They right. played since Halloween. No, you're right. Um, but you know, the, I can find a Texas A&M plus seven somewhere anyway. So. Uh, I'm sorry, Auburn plus seven. Uh, the public loves Texas A&M. You know, it's Auburn's actually played well. Of course, they got absolutely you know crushed last week by Alabama, forty-two to thirteen. That was after a couple of impressive wins in a row, not over great teams in Tennessee and LSU this year, but they looked good doing it. A&M. They did not cover last week as a 16-point favorite over LSU. LSU got a late score. A&M's really good defensively. Um, Kellen Mond's playing at a level that, personally, I didn't think he was capable of playing at. I'm not um, a big Kellen Mond fan. Um, I, I just, I, I, a lot of people like him as an NFL prospect, as you know, a, a third-round guy. I don't. Um, but AM's played really well, and they are in the hunt for a playoff. You know, they're the number five team just outside the top four. They beat Florida, but Florida's going to have the chance to play Bama in the SEC title game. AM will be left out of that game. Uh, they're laying seven um, on the road at Auburn. The public really likes AM. I'll take Auburn plus the seven. TCU is only getting a point against 15th ranked Oklahoma State. That one doesn't make sense. Take TCU plus the point. Um, first MAC game I think I've given out this year. God, I, I used to give out so many MAC games, but the MAC started super late. It's been hard to figure out. But Western Michigan is four and zero. They're playing zero and four Eastern Michigan, and they're laying thirteen and a half to fourteen somewhere in that range. As you can tell, I'm going to take the plus fourteen. Uh, the whole world's on Western. Um, Western, you know, is is, is yeah, I love uh, uh, don't you love that the whole world's on Western. Yeah, the, Western. Whole, the entire world is betting this Eastern Western. Oh, matchup. Cooley, do you have any idea how much action the MAC gets? In part because yes. they play on Tuesday night and Wednesday night. You know, people refer to it. Yeah, better no, refer I, I to it as MACTION. Um, there's a lot of action on these MAC games. Uh, take Eastern Michigan plus Mac. the fourteen. I like Cal plus 10 against Oregon. Cooley, last week um, Cal uh, was playing Stanford. I had given out Stanford laying a point and a half. 
Um, David Shaw is one of my favorite coaches. If you haven't seen the story about him and his brother, his brother was dying of blood cancer, and David basically saved his life by donating his bone marrow um, after multiple transplants um, had failed. It's one of the most beautiful, touching stories. ESPN ran it, I don't know, a month and a half ago. I love David Shaw as a coach. He's the most conservative coach in all of football, college or pro. Nobody punts more at the other team's 32-yard line more than David Shaw does. It's unbelievable. How many times do you see a coach with fourth and five at the other team's 33-yard line punt? How often does that happen anymore? It happens all the time. We just got to back them up. We got to back them up. It happens all the time with David Shaw teams. Anyway, I had them laying a point and a half last week against Cal. Um, They were up 24-17 and punted uh, from the 33-yard line. Um, Cal comes down. uh, They score a touchdown with 50 seconds left in the game. And so now when you're laying a point and a half and it's 24-23, you need them to make the extra point and for the game to go to overtime, they miss the extra point. The extra point was blocked. Stanford wins the game 24-23. That was one of my losers last week. Anyway, Cal actually has a pretty athletic quarterback. Um, This guy, Chase Garbers, can really move around a little bit. Uh, They're only getting 10 against Oregon. And Oregon has not been impressive. I had Oregon State last week against them. I had UCLA against Oregon two weeks ago. Uh, I'm going to take Cal plus the 10 against Oregon uh, this week. I think they cover. This will make you cringe. Sorry, but you're going to have to play Virginia Tech. You don't have to play it. I'm going to play Virginia Tech again. They're getting 22 against Clemson in the Saturday night big game. Um, I don't know why the Virginia Tech continues to be like this massive anti-public play um, and the the uh, house, the, uh, the the bookmakers have needed Virginia Tech just like I have multiple weeks in a row. They won one week for me. Um, they're getting 22. Uh, they, you know, I'm sure most of you are like, dude, that's got 63 to 7 written all over it. Okay, um, I'm going to take Virginia Tech plus the 22 because I know my uh, my bookmaker will need the game. And Oregon is laying a, a 11. I'm sorry, Utah is laying 11 over Oregon. State Oregon State beat Oregon last week in that great game with that great young running back. Um, I don't know why they're an 11 point dog. Uh, Utah must be pretty good. I'll take Utah minus the 11. Let's go to Sunday where the Falcons are catching three at home against the Saints. That's a no brainer. The whole, you know, literally most betters are on New Orleans laying the three. They crushed Atlanta just two weeks ago. Um, that was a game I think I had Atlanta. I don't think I gave him out in the smell test that week, but I think I bet him personally. And New Orleans beat Atlanta 24-9. to um, Now they're only laying three again. Uh, I'll take the Falcons plus the three. The Texans plus three and a half at home against Indy. Um, I think people are expecting Indy to really bounce back uh, off of uh, last week's loss to Tennessee after they beat Green Bay. Houston, even without Will Fuller, suspended the rest of the way. I think Houston's really good. I think Deshaun Watson is having – I mean, if they were a good team, 
Deshaun Watson would be in the running, legitimate running for the MVP. He might be the front runner. Like if they were five and you know six and five instead of four and seven, Deshaun Watson might be the front runner for the MVP. I like uh, the Texans plus three and a half. I like the Browns plus five and a half at Tennessee. You know, people are really on Tennessee now. Really good team. Big win last week. Maybe a bit of a letdown, although it's a, you know it's a matchup between two eight and three teams. I think the Browns find a way to keep that one close. Another cringeworthy uh, uh, smell test selection. Again, the Jets plus the nine. Nobody's on them at home against Oakland. The Eagles, nobody's given them a shot plus eight and a half at Green Bay. I'll take them. And then Denver's the biggest. Uh, Kansas City's the biggest public play of the weekend by far. They're laying 14 in the Sunday night game at home at Arrowhead against Denver. They get, what, 25% of their fans in or 22%, whatever it is, in the state of Missouri. Missouri. Uh, I'll take Denver plus the 14. They'll have at least one of those four quarterbacks back. Um, So there you go. Uh, Auburn, TCU, Eastern Michigan, Cal, Virginia Tech, and Utah tomorrow. And then Sunday, the Falcons, Texans, Browns, Jets, and Eagles – and Broncos, and then I think I'll probably have the 49ers on the Monday show. Uh, what's your lock of the week? Did you just take every NFL game? No. I took one, two, three, four, five, six, six. Twelve games this week. I, I okay. had 14 last week. I had you know, I had Denver last week. Obviously, that game gets voided because I had Denver on Friday plus six against the Saints, and the line went to 17. Um, but... Uh, yeah, uh, six college games, six pro games. You were two and zero. You took two of my pro games. I, I'm not saying you took them. You liked two of my smell first. test pro games, and you went first. And you had the Bengals, and you had the the Patriots, and both of those hit. Um, so you're on a bit of a roll. Who do you like this week? I like Cleveland this week. I think Cleveland's better than people give him credit for. I think Stefanski's done a really good job managing Baker Mayfield. Chubb's excellent. You know Chubb's averaging like 12 yards a carry in the fourth quarter for Cleveland? That's like Derrick Henry numbers. Uh, it, it is like Derrick Henry numbers. They're, it, this is a fun game, too, because it's two teams that, for me, run the type of offense that I like, that I would want to run. They have more run-action pass than... Anybody else in the league between the two of them? And Tannehill's playing really well. I, I, I'm not sold completely on Tennessee's defense, especially the run defense. I'm by, by no way am I sold on Cleveland's run defense. But for some reason, I, I just, I don't know. You said Tennessee's might be better than Pittsburgh. You're smoking crack on that one, buddy. Okay. I, I don't see that. But I like Cleveland in this game. I ab- I absolutely agree with you on Stefanski. He's doing a great job, and in- to your point, he's doing a really good job with Baker Mayfield. You know, Mayfield is Mayfield threw twenty one interceptions last year. Um, he-, he he's seventeen and seven right now. Um, he's doing a good job uh, of managing that offense. They've got a lot of weapons. I mean, they really do have a lot of weapons. Um, that they're an interesting team. You know, they barely beat Jacksonville last week. It's funny about Jacksonville. You know, we have not talked about Jay Gruden, I don't think, once this year. I I don't think we have. We have. We we have. We did the other day actually. But 
but but more in relation to his time here, not with respect to the job that he's doing in Jacksonville. Have we? Maybe we have. You know, he's had three different quarterbacks. He's going to start Glennon here for a second straight week. He had the guy Jake Luton or whatever following Gardner Minshew who basically played a game hurt. They have a running back, James Robinson, that I don't think a lot of people know about from Illinois State. Um, he is uh, not unless you're playing fantasy football. Exactly, Robinson is having a really big year, and offensively, Jacksonville's been moving the football, except against Pittsburgh. You know, in recent weeks, Pittsburgh basically shut him down. Um, but they they've had chances. You know, they had a chance to beat the Packers. They had a chance last week to beat the Browns. They they've they've lost two games by the identical score of twenty seven to twenty five in their la- in the last four weeks. Um, they they can move the football. Jacksonville can give Jay credit because there are a lot of different pieces down there. I mean, what does he have at at receiver? Does he have Cole still at receiver? Yeah, Cole and DJ Chark's a really good player at receiver. Yeah, and and Chark was out last week against Cleveland, and they still rolled up 25 points. This guy, James Robinson, averages 5.8 yards per carry. Jay, who never seemed to generate a running game, um, has a team that, you know, is is decent offensively. I don't even know where they are overall, um, you know, in rankings, but it's not a bad team offensively, Jacksonville. You know, one of those teams, again, like you look at, and when you watch them play each week and they're close against decent teams like Cleveland, it just it that that's the NFL. Like, you can't just look at a team's record and think they have zero chance. I think the only team you can say that about this year, for the most part, has been the Jets. And of yeah, course, the Jets don't have any chance. But I, I of course, <laughs> yeah, have them in the, the smell Jets test. So bad. Um, uh, they have a chance to cover. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Hey, I had one more thing for you. Okay. So I uh, I was going through all my old notes, and I've been putting all my stuff together for whatever reason. And I found this article that I have that was uh, written by Bill Walsh in 1977. It was when he was at Stanford, titled Developing the Young Quarterback. It, it's fascinating, the entire thing. When you go through it, we maybe we can go through it one of these days, some of the fun things in it. But I've had seven or eight people on Twitter and friends reach out to me and say, just call it play action. It's not run action, Chris. <laughs> it's play action pass. That's what everyone understands. Right. And when I started saying that last year, I just, I came to this conclusion that it's, why are we calling it play action? They're all plays. And so I was rereading this article that I'd, I'd read a, a while ago. It's, it's weird. It's printed. Like, it's an old printed deal. It's, it was actually typed. I have the typed version of it. You can see that it was typed not on a computer but on a, on a typewriter. Right. And he was talking about some of the things you do with the quarterback and the steps and the drops that they take. And he was saying it's, it's an imperative that on the run play action that the quarterback carry out an excellent fake and that the running back be a part of it. But I read it again. I said they were calling it the run play action. Oh, they were? It's ru- run play action. For whatever reason, that did get shortened to play action by everybody instead of run action. That's what they were calling it then. It, it was the run play action. 
So now I, I think I'm gonna I can be really smart with all of these fun new terms that we've come up with, <laughs> and I'm gonna call it the RPA. <laughs> Run play action. That's what it. That's what they were calling it, though. That was that was the origination of play action. Was run play action. Thought you'd like that history that I discovered a little bit. Of. Well, you know what I've I was always confused by in conversations that I would have with Mike Shanahan um, about um, bootleg, which has always been a big part of his offense. The keeper game. Yeah, he he always referred like he would say, "Yeah, we ran that." You know, do you remember in the second quarter we ran that keeper that that keeper? Mm-hmm. And I'm like. Keeper, like, um, and I finally said to him, I said, when you say keeper, do you mean bootleg? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Oh, okay, okay, because he calls it the quarterback keep or the quarterback keeper. And it's, you know, it's the zone stretch, reach it out, you know, fake handoff, and the quarterback keeps it and comes back the other way, and he's got, as you've described many times before, the different levels of throws that are coming back the other way, whether it's the fullback, the tight end, or the receiver down the field. Yeah. And, um, it's the quarterback keep. Game, it's quarterback which keep. Is actually, even in this article with Walsh, defined differently than the run play action, it was the keeper game. Interesting. You know, I think you get to the where that arc looks like the arc of a boot, and then the quarterback's going to hold it against his leg. So it was the boot leg. Right. But I could be wrong on that but one. No, but that's what makes that, sense. That, that, well, that may be it. But do you ever hear an analyst or somebody calling a game call it anything but bootleg. I don't hear anybody ever refer to it as, as a keeper. I, I, I've really only heard it defined as keeper in my life, though. I know, because you or played the, for him. Or the, neck, or the, or the naked game. <laughs> but you played for him. But, you know, one of the reasons I, th- I remember it confused me is, you know, this was, wa- you know, during the period when the, the he, he and Kyle were running read option stuff with with RG three, and when the, when he would say on the quarterback mm-hmm. keeper, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, is it a read option where the quarterback's keeping it? No, it was hi- him. It's the way he describes bootleg. Um, and I've yeah, heard Kyle the, the read option. Go ahead. No, I've heard Kyle also, like in press conferences after games, say, yeah, we, we got him a little bit on the keeper, um, on the quarterback keeper, and it, it's the bootleg. Mm-hmm. By the way, Bill Walsh, you know, um, he has one of the most impressive coaching trees of all time, something that one of his contemporaries that he gets compared with a lot, Joe Gibbs, does not have you know, a vast amount of former coaches that created, you know, their own mini trees. I mean, Walsh was Mike Holmgren first and foremost, you know, Holmgren ended up, you know, producing Andy Reid and uh, John Harbaugh and Steve Mariucci. But, you know, Andy Reid was the big one off the Holmgren tree who came right from Walsh. Walsh produced uh, Dennis Green, Lots of guys off off Dennis Green's tree, including coaches like today, like Mike Tomlin and Tony, you know Tony Dungy for a while, Lovey Smith, who's still coaching in college. Um, uh, he had George Seifert, who replaced him. Mike Shanahan came off of Seifert's tree because he coached for Seifert in San Francisco uh, as his as his offensive coordinator when they won with Steve Young in '96. He had. Um, who else did he have? Uh, Paul Hackett. Uh, here's the tree, actually. 
Paul Hackett had Mike McCarthy, John Gruden, Bill Callahan, Jim Harbaugh. Then he also had Jim Fossil, who produced John Fox. But you look at the Bill Walsh coaching tree, my God. I mean, there well, are... I, there's, a, there's a reason why as well. And it, this is funny because I've always kept in touch with Al Saunders, who also worked with Walsh at Stanford during the time that I described that he had written this thing. And some of Walsh's early influences, look up the head coach at Stanford in 75, 76, 77. Right. You'll, you'll have to look it up because I, I just, for whatever reason, I can't recall his name. But I was talking with Al on this, and Al, without being prompted by any of the things that I just talked about, said, you know, it was really interesting, one of the things we did at Stanford, the head coach. Jack Christensen. Coaches, is it Christensen? Okay. That are you, think, are, are you thinking of John Ralston? Ralston, John Ralston. Okay. It was John Ralston. That's the name. So John Ralston had told all of the assistant coaches on the staff that he wanted them to define in writing exactly what they wanted their players to do and in every technique and define with this certain type of article exactly what it was. And I was sitting there holding this thing in my backpack thinking, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I actually have the thing that Bill did. I don't know if I have the original document that, that he typed, right? but I have it in writing, the exact thing that he did. The, anyways, the point is, when you start to look at Bill Walsh, I found some other really cool things, too. I found a handwritten coach's notes that say, staff meeting, Bill Walsh, 1996. I don't know who it is. I just It's dated, and I don't know who wrote those notes. How did you get them? I just, they were laying around somewhere. I don't even remember how I got them. I, they were just laying around somewhere. Someone gave them to me. or I found them in my office. I don't know who brought them, where it was. I had a whole bunch of stuff. In uh, the notes, it's so definitive how important it was to Bill to teach his coaches. Right. He wasn't just going to teach his players. He was going to teach his coaches every single day. And he constantly taught his coaches how to teach the players, how to interact with the players, how to do everything he wanted to do. You can read the Walsh book. He describes some of these things. But when you see it written by another coach and the things they underline and the, things, the way they do things, Bill taught his coaches. It has gone by the wayside, I think, now with everyone wanting to be innovative and everyone wanting to be so intellectual with football that they forget to teach their coaches how to coach. And frankly, Kevin... Being around coaches a lot of my professional career, the good ones were teachers, the bad ones weren't. And that was really simple. And it's not like these guys, a lot of them came from a teaching background. They just wanted to coach. And a lot of them just wanted to coach because they liked ball. I would imagine that. Uh, by the way, I that that's a it's a really interesting perspective, and I've heard other people say that the best coaches are the best teachers. But there are coaches that I'm sure you played with that either a had no interest in teaching, and or, or b maybe wanted to teach but weren't good enough communicators to teach. Sure, no question about that. But you have to. I think the good ones, when I look at it, were able to relate to you before they were able to teach you. Right. And they had to be able and to so communicate. A lot of coaches just sit down and they go, okay, here we go. Let's go double right, 80 outside. When we're on 80 outside, remember that you're, you're like, okay, well, 
talk through why we're doing some of these things. Oh, they ha- the other thing is you have to know why you're doing things. You did. To the good coaches. Well, I did, but I, I made it important to know what everything, what, what was going on with everything. I made that important to myself. It was. It gave me an advantage. But if I, as a coach, say, run this line and go this way, and a player is just fine with that, then they can't operate off script of that line in any capacity. They gotta know how they gotta know how to figure it out and why. Which it, which it, also means know, you so need that, But it also means, sorry. right, that you need to acquire players who can learn and are coachable and are teachable. Because it goes both ways. Yeah, I think everyone I think everyone you start with that. I think you gotta start with some intellect. If you are at least looking and desiring that quality because football is a complex sport. But beyond that, everyone can learn. You you also have to teach your teachers or your coaches how to get through to different guys on different levels. Some guys learn differently. Fred Davis learned different than I learned. Totally agree with you. Totally agree. And so if you're if you're not willing to communicate differently to other guys or spend different amounts of time with guys, then you're not capable of teaching them. Right. But I, I get, not, a lot of guys can just watch you draw on a board and translate that into their mind as, I understand my responsibility. I think, I think that's such a good point. I guess the point I was making is you have to be willing to learn, you know, as a player. And there are sometimes, you know, you, you get people at that, yeah. you get people at any age that they've already got all the answers. They're not willing to learn. I would ask you one parting question here. You played for a Hall of Fame coach, and you played for a borderline Hall of Fame coach also in Mike Shanahan. Which of the two, Joe or Mike, was a better teacher? Well, remember that Mike didn't necessarily teach. Mike was a CEO. Okay, then Kyle. For me, Kyle was... Not anything from Joe. Kyle, Kyle was a, he. He communicated on a level that I loved. He was snarky, sarcastic, witty, fun, incredibly thorough, and incredibly detailed. And I personally thought a very good motivator. Joe was a lot of those things too. But it's also one of those things where Joe came in and installed on cardstock and sharpie in an era where you have to engage a little bit differently. Right. He probably was the all-time best teacher ever in 1981 right. through 1993. They were both great teachers. I don't know. Joe was a great teacher. They both, they both had qualities that were very different. And I, I think you got to learn and take some of both of their qualities. Here, I knew Joe cared about me no matter what. I knew Joe loved me. So I would do anything for Joe, and I would learn for Joe. I didn't ever believe that Kyle loved me, or or a lot of the players. We were dominoes more than we were his friends. And you know, I'm not. And you don't have to be friends. So the, I, I guess to answer your question, I think they're both good. I think they're both good in different ways. And you got to find ways to get through to everybody. But you knew because you've said this before. You knew that Kyle was going to be really good at this. 
I knew Kyle was going to be really good at this. I knew within two weeks of meetings that Sean was going to be a head coach in the near future. It's, it's hard to say early in my career because I wasn't watching as much as far as some of their leaderships. I was just there playing. But, yeah, I, I, I think Raheem Morris, is you from being around Raheem Morris, is going to be incredible at it. I, I think there's a – I thought, you know, Mike McDaniel is the passing game coordinator for San Francisco right now. I think he could be an excellent teacher. You know, it's funny. You saw that whole staff and you just went, my gosh. I thought Greg Williams was an excellent teacher. And I didn't sit in on a lot of their meetings, but in, he was a great communicator with me. He helped me a lot. Greg did. He would sit down and say, this is what I'm seeing from you. This is what you're doing. This is what's good. This is what we, we notice. Greg, Greg helped me a lot. He was a great coach. So, yeah, we had – it's funny. I've been around a lot of really good coaches. I thought Al was tremendous as yeah. a coach. Yeah. Al and, Al and Kyle were similar with their install methods. But Al was engaging and entertaining. You know, Kyle was that for me. He was, he was entertaining. You've said that about Raheem Morris before, and Raheem Morris obviously got an opportunity to be a head coach in Tampa, and it did not go well. I wonder if they'll give him – he's the interim head coach in Atlanta right now after he took over um, for Quinn. I wonder if they'll give him this chance. They played well. They, they you know, blew out the Raiders last week. Um, they, they actually, you know, they can definitely play major spoiler here down the, down the stretch. They play the, they play the saints again. They play the Buccaneers twice. The Falcons do. I mean, they could basically eliminate Tampa on their own. Uh, they also play a game at Arrowhead against the chiefs in week uh, 16, uh, next to last week of the season. You've said that God, you and others too, man, have said that about Raheem Morris, and I guess that first opportunity, he got that opportunity in 2009 as Tampa's head coach. And he went 3 and 13. Then they went 10 and 6 and did not make the playoffs. And then 4 and 12 and he got fired. So he was 17 and 31 overall when he was in Tampa. But I, I mean, here's what I would say like, if Arthur Blank called me tomorrow and said, you know, tell me about Raheem Morris. I, I would say he's one of the smartest guys that I've been around in the league. He knows offense incredibly well. He's coached offense. He knows defense incredibly well. But more importantly, he knows his emotional intelligence and understanding of his players I thought was exceptional. Guys will play for Raheem Morris. He, and he shows that. He appreciates them. They appreciate him. There's a lot of positive qualities for Raheem. It's funny. I, you know, I just put in a bad spot in Tampa. Really, when you look back at that, it, it wasn't a good spot for him to really have a chance. But he had to take that job because how could you not take a head coaching job? Sure, sure. I mean, you know, we we don't for whatever reason when we think of all of the the head coaches off of Mike's staff, Kyle Lafleur and McVeigh, we never mention you know Raheem Morris. You do. But I think the public sort of forgets that Raheem Morris was on that staff. You know, for four years, three years, something like that, and uh, and he may end up becoming. Now, you know, he's he's not off of the Shanahan tree. Um, you know, I'm not suggesting that in the same way that Kyle is, and in the same way that you know, Kyle really almost off of Kubiak, but Kubiak off of Shanahan's tree. By the way, Kubiak's doing a great job right now. If I, I don't know. Well, if, he sort of is off of the Shanahan tree as much as you would say Sean is. 
because, because Raheem of t- and Sean were both just as influenced by John Gruden early right. in their careers as they were Mike Shanahan. Right, but Gruden isn't off the Shanahan tree. Gruden Gruden is off of the you know the uh, the Walsh tree. You know he he's off of but Shanahan's off the Walsh tree. Yeah, that's true. So they're all off the wall. Yeah, they're all off the Wall Street, right? But but Gruden came off the home the Holmgren side, and Shanahan came off of the Seifert side. But but you're right; they all came from Bill Walsh, who, by the way, really came from Sid Gilman. Sid Gilman has yeah. Sid Gilman was the the offensive guru who created you know Don Coryell, which then created Joe Gibbs. Um, and, uh, and anyway, whatever. Um, but there are also a lot of them off in talking to Al Saunders, like, look at the Stanford staff in like 70, sure. like off the John, off the John Rollins staff. Ralston, I mean, yeah. Yeah, saw, yeah. Sorry. John Ralston staff. But it's just amazing. You can track this back forever. Ultimately, I think it comes down to one thing. The best coaches learn how to re- relate to their players and teach their players. I mean, when you, co- when you put together Ten guys. If you're if you know guys and you know who's smart, you put together those ten guys and you can't come up with a plan to operate on a level on a on a schematic level, then you're ridiculous. Yeah. You should, I mean, you got to be able to, to. I think trust your guys truly, and those are the staffs that really start being good innovators. But if you can't create a scheme with ten ten guys that have been a part of football, you're Something's wrong. It's it's not that. You know, John Ralston, do you know where he started his coaching career? Utah State. Yeah. Yeah, he was at Utah. He was at Utah State and then he went to Stanford and at Stanford, final two years at Stanford, he won um, the 1970 and the 1971 Rose Bowls, and I would imagine that those were the Jim Plunkett teams because um, Jim Plunkett was the Stanford quarterback, I'm pretty sure, in 1970-71. And then he ended up as um, the Broncos coach in the NFL for five years. John Ralston was the coach in Denver, and he was replaced um, by the coach that took Denver to the Super Bowl. Um, Red... Uh, God, I'm forgetting his name now. Right, it was pre-Dan Reeves. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was Red Miller. Red Miller was the coach that uh, took right. Denver to the 77 Super Bowl loss to the Cowboys. Yeah, uh, pre-Dan Reeves, exactly. Um, all right, drive safely. That was really actually, uh, I, I, I enjoyed that conversation. Um, we could probably do this for four more hours. So We could, uh, but you're, you're driving and you want to get back on Bluetooth and I am going to go enjoy the rest of my day and enjoy the weekend. We'll be back together on Monday previewing Washington-Pittsburgh.